Sports Nerds, opening, take 49. This episode of Sports Nerds is brought to you by Lost Highway Brewing Company, the award-winning craft brewery specializing in great beer and having absolutely no fear when it comes to taking chances. Learn as much as you care to at losthighwaybrewing.com or look for Lost Highway Brewing on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also brought to you by J Communication Solutions. Whether you're a rookie job seeker or a seasoned professional rounding third base heading for free agency, JCS is a great resource. Visit them at jcommunicationsolutions.com to find out what they can do for you and set up your future with that initial consultation. You just got your asses whipped. By a bunch of goddamn nerds. It's been rough and rocky traveling, but I'm finally standing upright on the ground. Hey, sports fans, welcome to Sports Nerds, presented by Lost Highway Brewing Company. Here are your hosts, Dr. Samuel J. and Dr. Brian Schrader. I guess Nashville was the roughest, but I know I've said the same about them all. We received our education in the cities of the nation, me and Paul. Well, hey, Brian Schrader, look at us. Hello, Instagram. Hey, listeners, uh, if you're listening via podcast, just want to let you know that Brian and I are live streaming on this recording on Instagram, as well as on Facebook. The video is going to be available on Facebook when we're done, too, so make sure you check that out. You get to see what we actually look like. Brian looks put together in his office he looks like a professional i'm wearing a shirt covered in paint with a like in a basement dungeon so uh things are going well here for both of us we're succeeding before anyone says it i'll say it yes i know it's the same shirt i wore on the last video it was an accident i wonder if people actually did that it was just that part of the rotation see the wonderful um i feel like a meteorologist here right i've got some pillows that are blocking the basement window so there's no sunlight. Okay, fantastic. Oh, is that what that is? I thought it was like a lampshade. No, that's that's a pillow. So I can just wave to people. Hey, Brian. Hey, Richard. Hey, everybody. How we doing? All right, there's Curtis. Okay, um, so. Technology, man. Before we jump into our sports-related conversation, you were telling me a wonderful story about a, I believe it was uh, <laughs> a Matthew Perry movie with Chris Farley. You want to go ahead and, and oh my God, re- yeah. uh, start there? Yeah, uh, <laughs> Matthew Perry. I'm trying to look at it. Almost, Almost heroes. That's correct. Is it heroes? Mm-hmm, I believe. Yeah, Matthew Matthew Perry and Chris Farley were in this movie called Almost Heroes, which is like he was an explorer who wanted to beat Lewis and Clark to the to the Pacific Ocean, um, but they're bumbling idiots. So it was like the untold story of you know these idiots who were not as good as Lewis and Clark. But it was funny. I don't know. <laughs> there's a part where I think I already said this, but where Chris Farley is like, he's being about to be executed and he's got a, a noose around his neck and they're reading off his crimes. He's just giggling about it. Like this is a really funny part in the original pirates of the Caribbean movie where Johnny Depp's doing the same thing. Total ripoff. It happened in almost heroes first. It has an eight, it has an 8% score on rotten tomatoes. Is that bad? Uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's low. It's relatively low. Uh, I would say so. I mean, I don't know what if 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 there was a Rotten Tomatoes for podcasts, I'm not sure where we'd fall in there. But um, yeah, I don't think eight percent is very good. I want to think of it that it's like a cult thing. 
I th- would probably agree. I wonder what the Big Lebowski is on there. Can you see what the Big Lebowski is? See what? On it's, Rotten Tomatoes. I, oh, like I'm sure it's great. We should probably have a conversation about sports. Yeah, let's talk I've about been, sports. I'm guessing people have been missing us. We're like a day late. 82 on Rotten yeah, Tomatoes. That's pretty high. I'll be right back. Keep talking. Um, so uh, we are a day late posting this thing because Brian and I, as many of you know from watching our Facebook page, we're in Minneapolis for a conference last weekend. If you're listening to the podcast, uh, feel free to check out the video because we had a really good interview with a couple of the gents over at Orange and Blue 760 and talked about the future of the NFL. So that was actually a really fun conversation. And uh, those two were very, very good interviewers. So definitely check that out if you can. Uh, We also post that in podcast format last week. This is – Brian, are you back? Are you there? I'm struggling here. I'm struggling. You're upside down. Okay. God bless America. You're upside down. There we are. Um, The freedom of not having to do a radio show is just fantastic. Yeah, this would not fly on the radio. I think we did a decent job of it too. I just realized for our Facebook live stream, I have not been staring at the camera. So it's too many, too many screens. Yeah, way too many screens. Want to look at? Um. Let's talk about uh, some things today. It's it's World Cup week. The World Cup starts on Thursday. The U.S. Open starts on Thursday, and we'll get to those stories obviously here in a little bit because I think you and I both have some hot sports opinions to drop in regards to both of those topics. But um, the first thing I guess we should discuss. Well, we I guess we need to plug our our social. So everybody, if, if you're not following us already, make sure you find us on Twitter. We're at underscore sports nerds. We're on Instagram for many of you are actually following us there uh, at sports.nerds, Facebook, fb.me slash sports nerds. Quick shout out to our title sponsor, Lost Highway Brewing Company. Lost Highway, uh, I was just in there the other day. They make some fantastic beer, good people. I was thinking, I've been to a lot of breweries in town. I've been to a lot of breweries kind of around the country. That sounded like a brag. That was not a brag. Um, that's oh, you like beer? Congratulations! Yeah, exactly. Uh, I can't you're say like that. The only one. I, I know. I know. So I you. I know. Um, what I was going to say before you rudely interrupted me was that I really just like going in there. I like I like the owners. They're good people. Bartenders are always good people, and uh, it's got a different kind of vibe. It's not. It's not a hipster. Uh, brewery, brewing, brewery type vibe. It's just a good place to kind of hang out and uh, good lighting in there, good TVs. So if you're down to the Denver Tech Center or you want to find their beer around town, I, I suggest you have a good drink. I like the Mountain Coast IPA. That's my go-to. When are or, you going to get Bells on board for us, by the way? Never, probably. I'm going to be near there in a couple weeks and I'll check it out. Doing what? I was just like going up to a little lake house, drinking some beer. Nice. Oh no, that's that's not true. I'm going to shorts. Never mind. Bells is awesome though. Shorts. Bells, we should definitely be our sponsor. I bet they'd do it. Actually, they would never do it. Um, hey, if anybody wants to be Actually, our sponsor, I, I you know we're do- You do? Yeah, I know a guy who knows a guy. Okay, I'll, I'll, have, to, I'll have to work on that. We have a, a unique relationship with Lost Highway, but I mean, if people want to sponsor the show, um, it's literally no risk for you to sponsor the show. I mean, we will give you shout outs. Brian and I just kind of want to take advantage of your your social media presence because that's how we get listeners. That's how we spread the word. And until we're getting like 15,000 downloads a week, that's what we'll end up doing. But we're a long way from that. So if you want to sponsor the show, if you have people who think 
uh, would like your product, whether you are in Iowa, we have a lot of listeners in Iowa, we have a lot of listeners in Michigan, and then of course in, here in Colorado, but hopefully eventually right across the country, uh, reach out to us at wearesportsnerds at gmail.com and we'd love to work with you. But uh, that's enough of that, enough of the boring stuff. Let's jump into it. Buster Olney wrote a piece last week for ESPN.com. There was also an interview, I believe, that he did with Outside the Lines, uh, talking about basically all the ways that advanced statistics have changed baseball. Uh, the title of it was Parts of Baseball Are Disappearing Before Our Very Eyes. And Brian and I were drawn to this article because it's very much in line with some of the research that we are doing and hopefully uh, about to submit uh, regarding you know how how advanced analytics have changed, basically how players view themselves, how ownership views players, and then the relationship between all of these uh, variables. But Brian, um, do you want to kind of summarize Olney's, Olney's argument or his piece at all? I don't know that it was necessarily an argument. It was more or less an observation. But uh, to me, I think I found it interesting because now we have a, 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 a relatively accessible piece about how sabermetrics and then you know uh, evolutions of advanced analytics have changed the game to a point now where if you actually go to the game or watch the game on TV, you can begin to see how numbers and I guess economic theory in a lot of ways have have changed baseball. Yeah, uh, yeah, um, yeah. I mean the 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 bulk of what we get from Only's piece is sort of like this. Here's here's trends in baseball. Um, uh, toward specific types of plays and away from specific types of plays. And he sort of, I think, points to um, the rise of analytics as an explanation for those things. So he says that there's, you know, far less bunting that there used than there used to be. There's far less, um, you know, pitch out. So pitch out is where you intentionally throw a ball that's, that's easier for the catcher to then throw down to second if you anticipate a steal or something like that. One that the hitter can, you know, probably not put a, a swing on or even if they do can't, uh, you know, make contact with or would hard hard for them be hard for them to be to make contact with or that's just outside so the the catcher can just kind of stand up and already be um in a throwing motion and he sort of says that um you know kind of tracks the numbers over the last decade in a lot of these cases and says we've seen we're seeing meaningful substantial changes in the way the game is played um and that the, the reason for that the underlying explanation is the rise in analytics saying that those plays are not as valuable as we once thought they were. That we used to, we we baseball, we as baseball used to ascribe much more value to the bunt, right? That there were automatic, you no matter who you are should bunt in these situations. Situations in baseball, there were automatic situations where, for example, if you had someone who was very much likely to steal a base, you would call a pitch out, right? You would. Um, steal bases more often. That's another category that he talks about that that stealing attempts and overall steals are all down. And the reason for this is because, like we mentioned, analytics are suggesting that those plays are more risk, more risky than than the make meaning that the reward that you might get from them is is uh, overpowered by the risk of of trying those plays. He makes kind of a secondary argument too, if we want to call it an argument, which is that this has limited the role of managers in in baseball. That they have they have less to do. That they used to make. Um, decisions. Should I steal here? Is this a stealing situation? Should I call for a bunt here? Should I call for a pitch out, et cetera? And now that they don't have to make a lot of, a lot of those, um, a lot of those decisions, I would kind of point out that managers are making way more pitching moves than they used to. I don't have the data to back it up, but this is a result of um, fewer bench players being position players and more of them being pitchers. And we're more likely to, to pitch in 
to, to bring in different pitchers in, in situations that we didn't used to. So while there might be a decrease in managerial decision-making on some points, I think there's an increase in other ones. So I, I don't think he's suggesting we should get rid of managers or whatever, but, but definitely seems to prove that the analytics are having a meaningful effect on this game. I don't know. My, my question to you is, and we sort of interacted a little bit with Buster on, uh, uh, on Twitter about this article. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not critical. I'm, I'm not criticizing it either way, but I certainly don't want to since he was nice enough to engage with us a little bit. But do you think that he's upset about this or is it like you said, he's just describing the the current status of baseball? Because I think a lot of people might see this and be sad and be upset like, oh, it's a bummer. We don't bunt as much anymore. And I'll be honest, I read this article and I'm like, yeah, good. Like that, this means baseball's better, right? If we're not engaging in high risk plays with little reward, that's good. That's a good thing. It's efficient. Yeah, I, I didn't feel like he was being um, negative uh, about at least his reading of what's going on. I felt it was like it was just more of an observation um, of kind of how things have changed. Uh, yeah, I, I think it was it was uh, it was a unique piece in the sense that the way that he's talking about baseball isn't necessarily the way that uh, kind of lay consumers of sports discourse are, are used to to reading or, or understanding things because. He focused a lot on risk management. I guess did I answer your question enough? Did I answer that? Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't think he's. I don't think he's down on on advanced no, I, analytics whatsoever. And I also I don't think. think but do you think some people would be when they read this? I, I do. Yeah, I guess. I guess you could probably uh, read this paper one way. Talking for sure. I think. I wonder. Um, it's not that managers are making uh, fewer decisions, or that it's. I think his argument was not so much that people are managing less but rather that managers don't have to kind of make that gut decision in terms of changing pitchers or putting in a pinch hitter. They're able to actually look at data that's going to support them one way or the other and just go with how the numbers look. And I think that is different, right? That, that, that isn't necessarily uh, uh, critical thinking or um, you know, problem solving, those kind of, of uh, thoughtful uh, evalu- evaluative skills per se. But you know, they'll just call up uh, – some some dude in the dugout, some assistant manager, some assistant coach, and and get some sort of information on the the hitter that's coming up, and then they will act accordingly uh, based on who's in their bullpen. And so I think that's his argument in terms of how it's changed, how managers act. It's not that managers aren't uh, there and necessary per se, but rather that the information or that the decision making process has just changed, and it's more based entirely on analytics as opposed to in kind of scare quotes gut feelings and so that's that i i guess i understand how if you are a, a kind of traditional baseball fan or old school baseball fan that might be somewhat off-putting and people may not appreciate that because you want the manager who's engaged you want the manager who's who's making these kind of uh, uh these gut decisions and uh, throwing guys in there in situations that um you know seem really inventive and and uh and, and wise but to me, um, I'm okay with it because it's – I don't know. It's, it's more fun to look scientifically at the game. And so um, I appreciate the changes to this. Uh, I know that you're not asking for my own evaluation, but that's that's my response to, to your question. I'm interested, I'm interested in your evaluation. No, I just I, – I mean I struggle with this, right? Because I think some people would say, oh, the game's you know more boring or it doesn't look the same or that it's you know too offense-centric or you know, any number of those things I could imagine – um, sort of, sort of folks swaying, but like things, things he's not pointing out as much here is that you're seeing 
you know, more offensive production because of things like, you know, stat cast and exit velocity and exit angle and that sort of stuff that hitters are becoming for scientific reasons for, you know, based on technology, better, better hitters in a lot of ways. You brought this up before in terms of golf, right? That, that golf, while it used to, used to be a lot more of a field game. Now, every element of a person's swing, their, their contact speed, their spin rate, all of that stuff is being diagnosed by a computer, which means they can figure out what their ideal swing path is and all of that nonsense. And then, and then repeat it, right? The result of that is longer hitters. Um, and, and the same is true in baseball, right? For, for more offensive production. I don't think people care about that. Right. I don't I don't think that they're complaining for, you know, I wish we had the good old days of fewer home runs or something like that. So it would, it would be weird to me to complain about this. All of that being said, I do hate replay and I wish managers still came out and argued with umpires. So I guess I kind of get it. Yeah, it does kind of take away the arguing with the umpire thing. Like, what are you what are you arguing? Um, can you you can't argue this balls is, and strikes? Like, yeah, this is like the, the, the debate about whether or not there should be hockey, fighting in hockey. Right, it adds nothing to the game, but at the same time, it's very much part of hockey. Yeah, agree, one hundred percent. Hey, can you do me a favor and can you uh, can you get back on Instagram? I I, I left, you, I kicked you out of the conversation just because your video was kind of bad. So there you go. Okay, I'm going to do that. Hey, can we have a uh, a quick conversation about the risk management component of this article? Because I think that's to me the big takeaway that's applicable to our listeners who may not be. Uh, economic students or critical theory people, because uh, I guess I found what uh, Alney was saying really uh, uh, not insightful, but different because he was very obvious and clear about critiquing or assessing the fact that risk management is now this evaluative tool that has found itself uh, within baseball. So, and it's in the level of that kind of assessment the 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 amount by which people use risk management to make decisions is a completely novel concept. And so while sure managers for decades and decades and decades have, you know, thought about risk and evaluated kind of evaluated it, now we have these kind of tools that really allow for the fine tuning of that evaluation. And that shift is, you know, primarily what is called a neoliberal economic shift. In the sense that uh, as an economic theory, Milton Friedman, Frederick Hayek, in the early, uh, I guess the 1930s, 40s, kind of post-war uh, America and, and uh, Eastern, Western Europe, excuse me, um, had created this theory that was basically a, a response to Keynesian interventionist uh, economic policy that basically said, let's put the responsibility on individuals to manage risk, to make good choices, as opposed to having uh, the state, or in our case here in the United States, the government kind of bailing them out from those decisions. And so what happens, and I think some of the stuff that Brian and I have really worked on in our careers, is how does an economic policy that is first taken up by uh, a government, a corporation, a state, uh, how does that trickle down into uh, changing the way that individuals on a day-to-day basis uh, live their lives, govern themselves, all of this. And so in this particular situation with the Buster Olney piece, we have an example of how an economic theory that was going to be used uh, for kind of, you know, eco-political reasons find its way into something that is not supposed to be necessarily political or governmental, uh, that is baseball. And so this is how 
a theory, right, can actually become practiced at the very, very minute level. And baseball is, I suppose, just kind of a microcosm in this example of that Buster Olney is bringing up of how this stuff happens in our day-to-day lives. So I guess to me, right, that when you and I were talking last week, that's why this article was unique. It's because it's bringing this, this argument to the, to the kind of mainstream and people are reading it and they're talking about it and seeing ESPN and all of this. And so uh, that's what Buster Olney had responded to us when we had said, you know, this is exactly what he's saying. We have, uh, we're basically seeing an example of how neoliberal economic policy has found its way into this kind of sphere that has nothing to do necessarily on the surface with economics. And he's just said 100%. Yeah, correct. You guys are right. So it's unique in the sense that he's recognizing it. It's not unique in the sense that it's not new. It's just that, again, that's that kind of uh, practice of problematization that you and I do, right? It's pointing out these things that are not obvious. So I guess a cool article. Hopefully people learn some stuff from it. I do recommend, yeah, go go find it, go check it out. Again, it's called, let me pull it up. <clears throat> one sec. Parts. Only hitters who can't, oh, that's the wrong one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Parts of baseball are disappearing before our very eyes. So check it out. Do you have any other comments you want to make? No, everything you're saying is totally correct, right? And the real practical way to see that uh, the changes, how the changes that he's describing will influence people's, uh, particularly people who want to, you know, play professional baseball or manage at the professional level will change themselves is you're going to see this sort of as a, a, a positive feedback loop or a negative feedback loop, depending on how you think about it. But um, where, where players who are going, coming up are going to realize that they don't have to spend as much time in the cage uh, learning to drop down bunts and they don't have to make sure that they've got a lot of, um, you know, speed, particularly speed that's good for, for stealing bases. Instead, what they have to prove is that they get on base a lot or that they don't strike out a lot. Managers similarly are not going to get jobs by, um, you know, if they go into an interview with the GM and spouting off about the, you know, the value of the pitch out or the value of, um, you know, uh, what situations you would, you would steal a base because I think managers understand the, the economic realities of, of, of winning baseball games and of building um, winning franchises. So instead they're going to want um, managers who come in and are, are, uh, you know, kind of the the um, uh, the the Cubs manager whose name is escaping me right now, the dude from Tampa Bay, Joe Madden, um, the Joe Maddens of the world who are willing to come in and say, "Hey, listen, I don't I don't know exactly what baseball is going to look like in a few years, but I know that um, the type of manager that is going to be successful is one who's open to changes uh, in baseball that are being explained to us, at least in in some part through." analytics right that's that's how managers are going to get jobs so it will change it will change the people uh, how people uh, try and break into to professional uh, baseball and and certainly professional other professional sports too you'd be hard pressed to find beer better than what the folks at lost highway brewing company have to offer from their award-winning golden ghost to sam's old standby the mountain coast ipa lost highway has you covered if you like beer Located just north of Arapahoe and Peoria in Centennial, Lost Highway has a great family-friendly vibe, awesome live music, plenty of TVs for the sports ball, and trivia. Find them on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or head on in and mention Sports Nerds to see what they'll be willing to give you for free. Whether you are an experienced C-suite executive exploring your options, a talented manager looking for a change, or a novice entry-level job seeker looking to start a new career, J Communication Solutions is your source for professional branding help. Specializing in resume building, cover letter writing, and LinkedIn profile development, JCS will help your value get noticed. 
Visit jcommunicationsolutions.com to learn about these and other services. Contact J Communication Solutions about empowering the career you deserve. Located conveniently off Evans Avenue, two blocks west of the University of Denver campus, Fermentra is an independently owned craft brewery specializing in IPAs, English and Belgian hybrids, strong ales, and barrel-aged beer. Open daily with rotating food trucks and crawlers to go, Fermentra is the perfect spot for fans of good vibes and great beer. Head in now and use the promo code SPORTSNERDS for 15% off your entire tab. Worry-Free Technology Solutions wants you to get the most out of game day. Operating in the Denver area for the last decade, Worry-Free Technology Solutions can take your audio-visual experience to a whole new level. If you need to upgrade your sound system or television, optimize your home theater space, or simplify your setup, Worry-Free Technology Solutions wants to help you. Check out some of their case studies at worryfreetechnologysolutions.com to see how they can help you today. Huzzah! Assemble your team for a live-action puzzle room mission and race to complete mind-bending challenges before time runs out. Pizzah is more than just an escape room. It's an interactive puzzle adventure, and your team won't be locked inside or paired with strangers. Choose your next mission in Denver or Broomfield at pizzah.com using promo code SPORTSNERDS for 10% off your booking. That's P-U-Z-Z-A-H.com, promo code SPORTSNERDS. A good suit should not be undervalued. Unfortunately, I've learned this the hard way, buying multiple off-the-rack suits, pants, and dress shirts, and wearing them out too fast because of poor quality. I could have saved myself some grief had I gone to Blank Label from the start and gotten dressed in something made just for me. But you can learn from my mistake by going to BlankLabel.com now and making an appointment with Denver's newest custom clothier. And when you schedule, enter the promo code SPORTSNERDS for $100 off your first purchase or a complimentary custom fit dress shirt. I thought let's save the World Cup conversation for our last segment. I thought uh, let's let's briefly talk about the ratings that the Warriors Cavs finals got. There was an article, uh, awful announcing, kind of broke down the ratings. Uh, in some, they were awful. Uh, let's see. Uh, before the never before has uh, I want to make sure I get these statistics right. Friday night's Game 4 earned 16.2 million viewers, which was the least watched game of any of the 22 games played throughout the Warriors-Cavs Finals series. The previous low was 16.5 million for Game 3 in 2016. To put those numbers in perspective, Game 7 in the 2016 Finals drew almost twice the audience with approximately 31 million viewers. I mean, obviously... You're listening you, on a podcast, you can't see me shaking my head. What? It, tell me, what's... When you when you see that game, data, game sevens get better viewership numbers than game fours. Yeah, yeah, no, no shit. That's no kind shit. Of obvious. That's obvious. If that series went to game seven, it would have had thirty one million viewers as well, maybe more. This is, but I guess, I guess we don't necessarily rolling my eyes. I know we don't have to necessarily evaluate this data. I just I, I want to ask you: um, Is basketball getting more boring? Um, or do you like this? Do you like do you like the Warriors style of play? Uh, I mean, I think I might make a contradiction. I might, I might contradict what I said before, which is if it wins, <laughs> you should be down with it. But no, I do think it looks worse. I mean, I think in particular, the, the ISO plays, you know, when it's, when it's just LeBron with the ball on one side and everybody else gets on the other side and he can drive. And if a bunch of people come over, so they're, you know, doubling or tripling him down in the paint and he kicks the ball. Yeah. I don't think that's the most beautiful um, basketball I've I've ever seen um, in my entire life. I think you know while it's fun to watch people make a bunch of three pointers, the 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 ebbs and flow of that mean that sometimes you watch 
you know, like Houston missed 37 three-pointers in a row or, or James Harden missed 18 in a row across a three-game span or something like that. So you got to take the good, the good with the bad. But yeah, I mean, I think that there's at least a little bit of a part of me that misses more system offenses and more complex pick and rolls and, and, you know, so, some of that stuff. But uh, at, at the same time, I don't, I, I don't, I don't agree with kind of this article that says that that's why that we have low ratings or that people are over the, the Cavs golden state, um, you know, kind of uh, saga. I'll be honest, man. I think we're going to remember this as, as a great time to be basketball fans. There's, there's crazy top level talent, um, you know, parody is there's definitely arguments to be made for parody, but I've enjoyed, I've enjoyed watching Golden State for the past four, five, six, seven years. Uh, I've enjoyed watching LeBron on all of the teams that he has been on slash slash will be on. And I, and I, and I enjoyed this finals. I mean, that being said, uh, this was not the most interesting finals. It was one close game and three games that weren't close at all. I mean, that, that happens. That happens sometimes. Listen, was the Toronto uh, Cavs series interesting when they beat them in four? No, it wasn't really compelling basketball it wasn't it wasn't super it wasn't super dramatic but that doesn't mean that that i for me personally again i think i think this is you know when the good lakers teams good good celtics teams back in the day good bulls teams i I like watching these these big dynasties see i think i miss the physicality of the game i miss i miss um you know the the Bulls teams, the, those Pistons teams, even the Lakers when Shaq and Kobe were playing, there was a physicality to them. Uh, there really isn't. I don't. People complain incessantly about the uh, refereeing, the officiating. Excuse me. For the last few years, they have with these with these um, games, and I mean, they say LeBron's too physical. All of this, yada yada yada. I'm not defending LeBron. I just think. It's not like it used to be more fun to be able to get a guy the ball inside and watch him work or to watch a dude drive to the hoop like Jordan or even LeBron does now and just, you know, command the lane. And now that that is so rare, unless it is LeBron, I guess. And Steph Curry kind of cuts through there. But I, I just imagine Steph Curry trying to do that to a to a Pistons team in, in 1988 and somebody just destroys him and doesn't get called for a foul. And I'm not saying that that kind of game is better than this kind of game. I'm just saying that I miss watching the physicality of it. I, I, I don't, I don't want to de- defend golden state, but I guess I will a little bit, which is, I think that they play matchup basketball better than most other teams. I mean, they didn't, they didn't play JaVale McGee in the Western conference finals because the Rockets didn't play a big man. He played three minutes in that entire series. He played big minutes in every game because the Cavs were playing Tristan Thompson in the finals. I mean, I think they match up well. And I, one other thing that I would caution against too, is sort of like, looking at how a style of a play looks in, in the moment as opposed to the context that sort of brought it about. I, I remember very well the sort of Golden State Warriors team coming onto the scene and beating you know my Denver Nuggets uh, as a two seed when they were a, a, a seven seed. Um, and the way they did it was they set these really high pick and rolls and every single time Ty Lawson would stay under that pick instead of going over the top. And Clay Thompson and, and uh, Steph Curry were hitting monster threes from back there and then as soon as we started going over those picks they would roll and they would pass it down low to to, you know insert player from four years ago um so like i mean that that forced people to come out over the top a little bit more and they, they respond situationally it's not like that was the only playbook that golden state had was that high pick do you have any closing remarks on on the nba finals yeah because we're not gonna have to watch yeah i don't care where lebron goes he should stay. He should okay. stay in Cleveland, 
and uh, uh, you know, I should tell my LeBron joke. What's your LeBron joke? How how, how many excuses uh, will LeBron supporters make about why he didn't win all those finals? Not, not one, not two, not three, not four, not five. Been sitting on that one forever. You have. You've been thinking about that joke for a while. You said it last week when we were in Minneapolis. You said you wanted to bring it up. You, well, I, you my, I had a broken hand the whole time. Shut up. You got it, buddy. You, uh, <laughs> you were able to drop your joke, so good job. Okay, uh, let's talk about the topic of the week, um, which would be the World Cup. Yeah, are you excited? for? I'm, 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 I'm stoked. I was just having this conversation with some colleagues at work about, if about the World Cup. Like, Can you watch it without the USA? I was going to say, yeah, first question, do you care that the USA is not in it? I mean, I'd rather they were in it. I don't I'm really I mean, watch it. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to watch it. It's going to be exciting. It's going to be fun. Uh, how do we watch it? Do you know? I should probably learn this. I think you wake how up do I like four in the morning? And I mean, do we have we have someone who, care, who Fox has it? We did it. We did a piece on this where they weren't going to do very much uh, live announcing, right? That's correct. They're not going to do a lot of. Well, they're not going to do in person announcing. Yeah, they're going to. So they're going to do it live. But yeah, I need to. I'm trying to find the. I think if Fox has it or NBC has it or something like that. Yeah, it'll be on. Everything's going to be on. Um, showing broadcasters for Fox. Oh, Fox and Telemundo. So our first game will be at 9 a.m. Denver time on Thursday on Fox and Telemundo. And that's the Thursday only game on – days from now? Yeah, that's the only game on Thursday too. I didn't know it started that, that early. Uh-huh. That's odd. What a surprise. Yeah. Christmas comes early. I know that's the it's well it's Russia and Saudi Arabia, those are the only games. Oh, then there's uh, Spain and Portugal play at noon oh, see, on a Friday. Game. I will say this: the USA not being in it is like I didn't pay attention to like the the group draws or any of that sort of stuff. So yeah, you just didn't care about that. So um, yeah, like it'll come. We are interested in talking about the World Cup because we're running on our own World Cup pool. Hey, listeners, everybody, make sure you participate in our World Cup pool. You can go to Facebook and find the link and all that. Only two days to sign up. Only two days to sign up. We have a, a pretty good slew of folks to start with, so hopefully we get some more. But I guess I'm intrigued by the World Cup being in Russia, and that's why I thought – or that's that's the kind of frame I wanted to use to have a conversation about the World Cup today because I sent you a few stories in preparation for this. Um Russia is going through and slaughtering stray dogs. Did you read that? Did you have a chance to read that? Oh, I didn't see that one. Yeah. So, um, you know, obviously they're trying to clean up the streets in these cities that are hosting the World Cup games. And part of the cleaning up involves capturing and killing stray dogs, which uh, animal rights, uh, humane societies are very not very happy about it. But it's a good article. You know, I'll be honest. Around World Cup time, what I really don't want to see is stray dogs. So, <laughs> I know. I know. Um, I guess. Um, Wait, oh, there we go. Oh, I see. oh, Dan Lair says I misspelled only. I did misspell. Did you put only? And I put a U instead of you. Right. Oh, you did that when you texted me too. I just assumed that was autocorrect. Nope, I messed up. Maybe I did. Maybe it was. Um, correct. So, R- Russia's going to be under the microscope for this World Cup uh, for for glaring reasons the number one would be things like homophobia but also racism and so there's an article that brian and i read this morning from cbc russia has hired a former uh soccer star alexei smirton who will i i suppose kind of go around to the to the uh various stadiums the 11 cities 
hosting the World Cup and sit in the stands, see whether or not racism is happening. But you know this better than me. You've talked about this more than me. I mean, Russia, uh, Russian fans have been very vocal in their just kind of bigoted rants, right, towards, towards players of color who come into their stadiums and play. Yeah, two years ago during the uh, Euros, um, a bu- there was a bunch of there was ta- there was talk of um, booting uh, the Russian soccer team out of the, the Euro Championship because um, there was just a bad a bad run of um, uh, Russian fans. A lot of it was just sort of hooliganism, uh, starting fights, um, antagonizing other fans. But definitely the the, the racism that this article is about was a part of it. So this this article that you that you sent talks about you know just kind of the prevalence of. Um, racist chants, racist songs, racist signage, you know, kind of antagonizing and taunting, um, players, uh, usually from, from other teams that are, that are, um, uh, you know, people of color, people, uh, you know, from, uh, largely there's, there's a large, a large population of, of African players, um, in, in European soccer and, in, um, uh, you know, in, in the Bundesliga and in Russia, um, so, uh, yeah, it's a, the, the, just a lot of racist behavior. And this is, uh, I don't know if this is, I don't know how we should read this. Is this is a genuine attempt to try and make sure that the, um, you know, that there's not uh, some really terrible headlines that come out of, um, come out of this world cup about, about poor treatment of, of supporters, poor treatment of players. Um, or if this is just kind of an attempt to put a bandaid on something that they, they can't do anything about. The article that you sent talks about this. The guy whose job it is to try and make sure that racism doesn't sort of dominate the headlines is basically saying, you know, we're going to try our best. There's no way we can we can stamp it out 100%. It's, you know, kind of a culture of, of sort of um, – uh, he, he, I don't even think he wants to call it racism, but he wants to call it sort of uh, 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 kind of – I don't know – I don't know what a good word for it would be. He, he seems, to, seems to chalk it up to just misunderstanding of how offensive it is the stuff they're do, that they're doing. Is, it's probably unfair to even characterize it um, as, as that. But he also kind of talks about the ways that when you try and implement rules to prevent racism in soccer, like, you know, uh, if we see you with racist signs, we're going to kick you out. And he's like, well, then they just start singing songs. Because if they do that, it's harder to pinpoint it and kick it. Like You can't take a picture of someone singing a racist song or something like that. Or they sing songs that are sort of polysemic where the you know racist undertones may not be clear to everybody so yeah i i I don't anticipate that that this attempt is going to uh, ensure sort of a a incident free uh olympics from either racism taunting of players taunting of fans or from um fan violence i assume that we'll see um some of all of that hopefully 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 none though yeah i think what's um i guess to kind of back this up a little bit this is not like a bunch of liberal snowflakes saying, oh, they're saying things that really aren't that, you know, they're borderline offensive or not offensive at all. Like these people are chanting awful things to players, stuff that would never be acceptable here in the States. Not, to, I, I'm not trying to put ourselves above Russia or anything like that, but I mean, it's really, really terrible. Um, I mean, literally, if you were to do this at an NFL game, somebody would turn you in you get thrown out like you can't do this but i mean it's important to note too that it's not just russia i mean like just even even the premier league this happens this happens all the time you know like in 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 england this happens and in spain and all the other european leagues it happens as well so it's not i mean it's it's easy to point at russia especially because of the the stuff that happened at the euros but it, it it happens all over, and and I think that people tend to think about Europe as sort of more progressive when it comes to race stuff. But in a lot of ways, you, the the sort of populism sweep that we saw in the United States in 2016, or still kind of in the middle of, is true is true in, in Europe as well. And you're right, it's not it's not sort of benign racism either. It's like pretty 
pretty terrible stuff that happens. It's and this article talks about, you know, there's a, a, a black player on the field. Fans will, you know, taunt them by making monkey sounds or they throw bananas at them and stuff like that. It's, it's really uh, gut wrenching shit. It's, it's quite terrible. It's so. the fact also that, you know, the establishment doesn't really do anything to, uh, to stop this. I mean, this is the article, like you had said, uh, you have the soccer player, this famous dude who's going to come in and, and try to, I guess, be the minister of racism or, you know, try to, try to slow it down. But he, he gives himself so many outs, right? And he gives the Russian government so many outs to say, you know, we're going to try our best, but we can't do everything. I can't even imagine what that would look like here in the States because I, I would like to believe that a sports organization would work very, very hard to, uh, to kind of eliminate this. Ben Kilberg says, catch the E60 on the Russian street fighting. I guess we'll have to watch that. Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. All right. We'll check that out, Benjamin. No, Thank you. There's, yeah, there's been this thing in, in, in European club soccer, and I think it was in the last World Cup and maybe the last two World Cups, where the players will come out and they'll kind of uh, – the captains of each team will kind of co-read this pledge to, to, to not have racism – you know, it's like racism shouldn't be any part of the game. And so like they do try and they have, they've, there has been an attempt to sort of make it, make it front and center. The problem is, you know, like oftentimes it becomes, it's stuff that happens on the field. Sometimes it's players saying racist stuff to, to other, to other players. I mean, the one interesting thing that's worth pointing out is there was a pretty high profile and I'm going to forget the name uh, of a European player who was charged with a crime for saying racist stuff to another player on the field before. So, I mean, maybe that's the direction that it needs to go is, is criminalizing that sort of stuff that obviously brings up a entire, entirely different debate about the, the degree to which we think free speech matters and what sort of stuff you should be allowed to say. But um, it's, it's serious enough that, you know, criminal charges were brought against somebody for this. Maybe they're, Maybe there were civil charges. Maybe gets. I don't. Well, know. I guess we'll see how it plays out. You would think it might start uh, on Thursday with this Russian Saudi Arabia um, contest, but I think let's wrap it up for there today. Um, no ma- massive sports stories coming out this week. So next week, we'll see what happens. We'll be in the midst of the World Cup group phase. Brian and I, as always, you can find us on Facebook, fb.me/sportsnerds. We are on Instagram at, at sports.nerds and then Twitter uh, underscore sports nerds. Uh, make sure that you check us out. We're throwing a lot of good content out there. If you are a golf fan, we're also running a U.S. Open pool, and that you can find a link to that on our Facebook page. We created an event as well as uh, a few posts regarding what's, what's going on there. You can also find information at link. Uh, let's see. It's linktree, so it's L I N K tr.ee slash sports.nerds. So Linktree is the name of the uh, the hosting service, right, of the website. And then if you just sports.nerds is our profile page. And there are several links up there, uh, one to the World Cup contest and one to the U.S. Open contest. We have some fantastic prizes from our title sponsor, Lost Highway Brewing Company. If you're down in the Denver Tech Center or anywhere where you can find Lost Highway beer, we, may, we definitely recommend you find it. And then uh, Tivoli is back uh, supporting us, and so Tivoli is going to throw some 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 prizes to folks as well. We do have golf also for the U.S. Open pool. We have some golf in the Denver area, so make sure that if you are a Denverite, you sign up for our pool, pick your uh, your players, and try to get yourself some free golf. Brian, do you have any final comments you want to leave our audience with? no that's good yeah nothing all right my friend well uh fantastic job today and we will talk later already yeah see you buddy i guess nashville was the roughest but i know i've said the same about them all